everybody should have this feeling of doing something greater than themselves, no matter what it is. It doesn't have to be running, but just once in their life, just to understand what it feels like and and, and truly who's, who knows what's next, you know? But, but I would challenge anybody to go out and do something that they're just not sure that they can do. And just for that feeling and that rush and show yourself that you can rise. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 24 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. Honor to share Jenny Clark Bracken's super inspiring story. It's a long one, my friends, but full of so many valuable life lessons, and we needed the extra time to fully explore Jenny's journey. We discussed her relationship with her dad, her mentor, and the adventures he introduced her to in life on the trail. Losing a fiancé at an opiate treatment center, leading to depression and her shutting out the world. Going to the gym, the first step that turned everything around for Jenny. Learning to run, falling in love with trail running, meeting like-minded people, creating a tribe and building out a community, and facing a huge fear, taking on the JFK 50. I'm so happy our paths crossed at the JFK 50 at mile 40, and we shared some positive energy. Jenny faced down her fears and absolutely crushed her first ultra, running a 948.57, finishing 11th in her age group. Amazing stuff. I am sure you will enjoy Jenny's passion and fire and listening to her inspiring story. So let's dive on in and take a listen. Hey, good afternoon, Jenny Clark Brackens. Welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you? I'm so well. Good afternoon, Ron. I'm so excited that you invited me on the podcast. I'm looking forward to talking with you. Well, we, we did cross paths like ships in the night on the JFK course. One of us was moving a lot faster than the other. Hint to the audience, it was not me. So yeah, energy <laughs> level was great. You know, we had one of those fun moments because people with good attitudes in me, in life, in running, and anywhere in my world, when I find him and I see him, I'm always like, I need to know him better. I need to know her better. So immediately I got that vibe from you and I knew you were going to be an interesting person. And we're on the JFK 50 page, the Facebook page. And I saw your results. I saw the great pictures and the celebratory stuff. And I'm like, yep, she's coming on the show. So we got you, man. Yeah, I'm so excited. And you had great energy too. You know, it's not easy to have good energy when you're mile, when you're nearing mile 40 to 42 on a course. And I think it was just pure kismet that we met. I think it was wonderful. And I think we're going to have great friendship moving forward. Yeah, that was, that was a cool spot to be, right? Because, you know, for everybody, um, who has not had that wonderful opportunity to run the JFK 50. Um, I put a post up on Instagram that it's like a three act play. And it really is because you start off the first um, 13 and a half miles is on the AT. Well, it's 15 and a half because you run like two miles up this crazy hill, which I called stairway to heaven because <laughs> I was really like, really more like stairway to hell because I was like, if we don't stop going uphill soon, I might just turn around and go back to my hotel room because, you know, we're just like running up this cliff. It's like dark, you know, there's like a handful of people out and we're all like, you know, when you're half awake, you know, I'm just like, yeah, I'm not excited yet. And then we dumped, we dumped onto the AT and I was like, okay, it's on, it's on. And so it's 13 and a half in there. So it's like 15, right? 
I think I have my numbers right. And then you run 26.4 on the CNO Canal. And for those listening at home, we ran into each other at literally the end of the CNO Canal. Like we were just about ready to dump out onto the road there, which leaves you like 8.4 miles of like country rolling roads, which believe it or not, after running on flat for 26.4 miles, some of those hills are a little bit welcome. But yeah, we had a we had one of the best. Yeah. <laughs> It, it was right. And you know, this was your first JFK 50, but, um, we're, we're going to do is save the back end of the show to talk all about the race, like why we both chose to run the race itself in this year of COVID. Um, what was our experiences like training leading up to it? Um, you know, how did you go about the race itself, your nutrition plan, et cetera. And we'll save all that stuff for the end, but for people coming on who, you know, may not follow you on Instagram or know anything about you, tell us a little about like where you grew up. Did you play sports in your youth? That kind of thing. Sure. Well, um, I grew up in Northern Virginia in a suburb of a Washington, D.C. suburb, Centerville, Virginia. And at the time, there wasn't a whole lot out there. It was basically farm fields. And and I have uh, a pretty large family. Um, and in order to keep us occupied, uh, my dad would often take us out to either the Appalachian Trail, Shenandoah National Park. And so we spent a lot of time out hiking on trails, even out to the CNO. There wasn't a whole lot else to do. When you got a whole mess of kids, you got to keep them occupied. So I grew up in Centerville, uh, was not involved in, in sports. In fact, I was a band geek. I was involved in a parade group, a colonial parade group, where we toured all over the country. Uh, got, a, got to have a lot of great uh, opportunities with that. I played the pipe. Uh, performed at the Rose Bowl, performed at the Macy's Parade, performed at the Kennedy Center. Had a great time with that. With sports, not for this chick. Wasn't good at sports. And I just really wasn't exposed that much. I was more of a musician, a piano. And and so, so coming up, I really, I remember being in gym class and I remember being so frustrated every time we had to run that I hated the way it felt. All I could hear was my breathing. And so I just let it go and said, I can't do this and go with God. I'll just do other things in my life. That is great. Um, I love to... Um uncover stories of people who have a very untraditional uh, path to finding running or any sport for that matter. And music I love because my son uh, is a music Chinese major at Middlebury, just recently graduated last year. And um, he's a conductor, a musician, does piano lessons, performs, um, you know, classical music and um, just, just following that's his path in life right now. Um, and, you know, he does all sorts of things via Zoom now because there's no live performances anymore. And, you know, all those really fun uh, church performances and, and choir performances and plays the organ also like in his church and the piano. So much of it has just been all forced to go virtual. So what a neat experience for you getting to travel and go to the Rose Bowl. I mean, that's pretty badass. Well, I was, a, I was a young kid and it was just, it was such a fun experience. And I think that my parents got us involved in that because all of my brothers were also involved in that. So we know the dilemma with parents with having kids in multiple sports and how difficult that is. I think it was convenience for my parents that we did that. So they kind of kept us all clustered together. And so that was pretty much my love was music. And I loved going out to the trail. Then I was a big hiker and I always did really scary things with my dad. So he took me rock climbing and, and rappelling as a young kid. And I could always do scary things when he was there. My mom was there too, but my dad was my person who really taught me to love nature. So even though I wasn't active in, in organized sports, I absolutely loved being outdoors. I loved exploring in the woods, 
that time was my favorite time, but didn't actually get into it on my own until I was much, much older. That's super cool. Cause one of the first questions I almost always ask, uh, runners who come on run chats are, you know, did you have a mentor, a favorite athlete, or maybe a teacher who really embraced something about you? I mean, you could have been a gifted writer. It may not have been anything to do with sports, but they just helped really build your confidence and your self-esteem. So it sounds like your dad had a big impact on you, you know, getting you out to the trail, getting you to try hard and really challenging and difficult things together. Um, it builds your your confidence and your self-esteem doesn't have to be a sport. And, and hell, that is a sport anyway. My God, climbing and being out on the trail is every bit of a sport. It's just not a, a team sport or the traditional things that, you know, we generally get involved with when we're younger. Yeah. And I had a, I had a pretty difficult time as a youngster. I had a very difficult time as a teenager, as many do, uh, waiting through that, almost didn't survive it. And that was kind of our time where he would connect with me and make sure I was okay. Um, and so he really instilled with me that confidence and where that led to later on in life is that I, you know, I got out of high school. I had to start my career early. We didn't have a lot of money. Um, I had to support myself right away. And, and he always encouraged me to go to college, but we could never afford it. And he always said, you know, I know you can do this. You can do hard things. And so he was really, truly my mentor in that. And as an older adult, I managed to put myself through college, moved to New York city, um, uh, was still holding down a career and graduated first in my class with, with a perfect GPA because I wanted to show him I can do this. I deserve to have a seat at the table. I couldn't go off to school with the, the other kids, but he's always had that influence in me to believe in me. And that's, that's carried me through my life. I think father daughter relationships are very important and, and, and they, they can't be underestimated the power that that parent parental influence can have on a young person throughout their life. Cause he still has that influence on me now, even though he's an old man. <laughs> yeah. Well, we gotta, we gotta be kind to the old people cause I'm old. So. Yeah. <laughs> my Nick, my nickname given to me by a badass trail runner and runner is old as fuck. OAF. She just, she came up with that. I'm like, I can roll with old as fuck. And then a Love really, it. a really good master's friend of mine said, no, old and fast. He changed it to old and fast. I'm like, I don't know if I could still pull off the fast part. We're trying, you know, we, we do what we can, but I love, um, I love stories like that. Um, some of us are really incredibly blessed to grow up with like two amazing parents. And, um, some of us have one, some of us don't have any, you know, the stories are just so, um, so, you know, complex, um, how people grow up and, you know, sometimes it's a sibling or even a friend, not even somebody from their own household who we model ourselves after. So, um, it's, it's awesome. And, you know, it leads you to paying for your own college. It leads you to having to like take that responsibility on. And when we have to take responsibilities on our own and pay for them, look at the result. I mean, you go there and you get a 4.0 GPA. So it's interesting because, you know, there's all this debate out there about wiping away student loan debt and college debt. And it's just like, I just hate politics stuff, man, because it just, it gets to my insides because, you know, my son's college was paid for. Okay. And that was paid for by me and his ex, my ex-wife his mom. And he also earned a tremendous amount of academic scholarships and everything else because he's a, you know, brilliant kid and, um, you know, also got some grant money. So, you know, he's blessed to be leaving left college, you know, with no debt. Others are not in that position, but, you know, I, I just, 
I'm like, okay, so we're just going to like take all this debt away. No problem. And we're just going to pay for it out of taxes. So yeah. It goes somewhere um, else. We, somebody's got to pay for yeah, it. Somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I'd have more, I'd be more okay with the colleges having to take that back. I'm just saying yeah. if somebody really doesn't have the means to pay it, 100%, because sure. people can get overwhelmed. They can have too much come down on them. And everyone's situation is different, okay? But I just have a little bit of a hard time with blanket rules where we're just gonna, okay, we're just gonna erase all of this. It's all gone, no problem. No, I feel the same way, especially because last year I, I had this uh, I had this great idea to get go completely debt-free and I did. And I finally paid off all those student loans. And so there was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that went into it. And now I'm going, well, I, I did it. I know that that's not feasible for everybody. I have through a lot of hard work gotten to where I am and it's, it's, it's not easy for a lot of people. A lot of people don't even have the option for college. And I think that also we don't stress enough the value of the trades and people going and doing that. that Not everybody needs to, to get a college education. So yeah, it's a tough debate. It's definitely a tough debate. And I've been on the side of paying it all back and knowing the value of that too. And I think it gave me a lot of good life lessons from that. So. Yeah, I think it's it's great uh, conversation, and it just shows you know runners are tough, man. Runners are disciplined, and runners are tough, and runners are about finishing the job, and that's just those kind of characteristics. They help us be better humans in life, you know, whether it's as parents or helping a friend out who's in need or anybody else. I just you know education just needs an overhaul. Period. I mean, the the fact that colleges are still getting away with charging seventy and seventy five thousand dollars a year for education, and I'm um, sorry, it's Zoom class right now. Like, hey, we're on a Zoom right now. Like, hey, I can do some day drinking. I got my Guinness Guinness glass over here. I got a gluten free beer going. Life is good, but come <laughs> on, man, we're we're charging kids seventy seventy five grand or family seventy seven grand, and these kids aren't even in a classroom where they have to be locked down in their dorms. So, it's uh. It's tough stuff, but trust me, we didn't have you on here just to talk about education or that, but it is, it is really interesting that you took that on and you learned and, you know, that's something that's part of who you are. And I think it just says a lot about, you know, who runners are overall. So good for you. And, uh, you know, that, that will come through with anybody that touches you in your life because, you know, you had to dig down for that. You had to figure out a way to pay for that. And I've got friends who are just paying off their medical school loans and they've been in practice for years, years. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So it is It is not an easy situation. But here's the thing. I can see your face. I can see the smile on your face. And I can see, you know, what a feeling it gives you to come through that and to handle it. You handled it. You didn't have somebody else do it for you. You didn't have all these other people. And hey, look, in life, sometimes we need other people to help us, you know, and that's okay. You know, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I think that's wonderful. And I like to try to help people. I like to try to pay that forward. Um, I think that in, in sharing that, though, I, I think it's an important piece of my running history because it speaks to the level of commitment that I've become accustomed to putting into my running and my drive into helping other people. I apply the same same work ethic that I applied to that, that I applied to my career, to running. It, I think... Basically, that's a common thread with athletes. I mean, the discipline required, you know, um, some of us have three and four kids. Some of us don't have any. Some of us might have three or four dogs. I mean, whatever our own home living situation is, we all have careers of some sort and we have significant others and relationships to manage. 
And then we have to figure out how are we going to get this work done? And now, you know, this isn't just my traditional person who maybe runs up to marathons or a lot of marathons. When we get into the ultra world, you start talking about running a 50 miler or a hundred miler. You are talking about way different levels of time commitment required. Maybe not so much in how many miles you necessarily have to run, but in terms of like how many hours you need to spend on the trail. Okay. And whether that's walking, hiking, being out there four or five hours, same thing. My last guest was an Ironman triathlete, uh, multiple five times Boston marathon runner. She qualified for Kona. She didn't run her first marathon until she was 42 years old. Okay. So that's the stuff that gets my juices going because her entire uh, business that she has outside of her regular work career is on mindset coaching and working with people to figure out how to get, you know, not, you can't necessarily remove all the clutter in your life, but how to be able to get the focus on the one most important thing. Is it qualifying to go to Kona? Is it to qualify to run Western States 100? Is it to run a hundred mile race and just finish it and not care, you know, if it's 24 hours or 28 hours or whatever it is, like, what is the single most important thing that you want to do athletically? And then like strip all of that away and then figure out how do I make all of this come together? Because the thing that I think the non-runners or the non-athletes like athletes, um, lose sight of all the time is, you know, they see your pictures or my pictures or whatever, and they just like, you know, they do the eye roll and go, oh, whatever. Gosh, more, yeah, more, more pictures from Jenny. <laughs> oh, well, more pictures of Ron in his red, white, and blue star striped shorts. <laughs> yeah, baby. Yes, more, more pictures of me. But the discipline required, either people are running at night, they're running in the afternoon, they're running in the morning, or maybe some combination of both. So let's get into what made you take this turn in life? Because I know in 2013 was a big year for you where you kind of made these changes in your life and really kind of got into our sport, if you will. And it's led you on this kind of eight-year journey to where you are today and us meeting at JFK. So take us into like what changed for you in 2013 and got you into this beautiful sport. Well, in, in two, really, the story really starts in 2008 because I moved back to the DC area from New York City. I had gone through a divorce in New York City. I had a tough time up there making it on my own, finishing finishing school. My ex-husband was going to law school at the time. Uh, just a whole lot of stress and then trying to make sense of what my life would be. And I came back to live in the Northern Virginia area because I have a career here. I, I work for a federal contractor. I've been in that career since the late 90s. And, and the, the money was here. So it made sense for me to come back. And I was looking for a place that was, you know, a good viable place for cost of living that I could afford to go into on my own. And I found, you know, Charlestown, West Virginia. I grew up in, as a Virginia girl, but this was a smaller town and it made sense and I could afford it. So I came to West Virginia. Um, and a couple of years later, I met my husband and he came out here with me. But I was still trying to kind of find my way and transition back into my life. And I found myself in a pretty deep depression to the point where I was in my house uh, constantly, never leaving, only to go to work. I had a hefty commute. My work was my excuse for not doing anything else in life. I don't have time for this. I'm just going to be a bitch outside of work because I'm tired of everything and I'm just bogged down. We're busy. Everybody's busy. And... Um, and so I had one friend, she was my next door neighbor because I was living in a townhouse at the time and our, our homes were connected. And she used to make the joke that, I'll, you know, in, as, as we would roll into the winter, I'll see you in the spring because I never left my house. And again, one friend, because I had moved back to the area, I didn't know a lot of people. And I had my husband, of course, and my husband had bought us gym memberships. And he said uh, at a certain point, because I wasn't using it, he goes, if you don't go to the gym, I'm going to cancel your gym membership. And this was in uh, 2012, late 2012. 
So it just so happened to coincide with the new year. And, and I hate the new year's resolutions because nobody ever keeps them, but mine happened to coincide with the new year's resolution. And the first days of 2013, I decided to go back into the gym because my husband was going to cancel my membership. Now, mind you, I could do aerobics and, and I was, I, I loved doing step classes when I was younger, but again, I'm not an athlete. I'm not an athletic person. I can be exceptionally awkward, um, bad hand-eye coordination. So, so I go into the gym and I'm wearing a pair of, uh, sweat cutoffs, sweat pant cutoffs, my husband's oversized shirt that says dreams do come true, long mowing white, like the new balance old man sneakers, um, that had grass all over them. Uh, I'm in my late thirties. I go into the gym, feel totally out of place. I'm like, I don't belong here. I don't know what to do. So I went into the cardio cinema room to get on an elliptical because there was nobody in there and it was dark. So I get in there and I start working and it's, I'm like five minutes and I'm exhausted. And I'm like, this is, this is sucks. And I walked out, I walked out of the gym. I was done. And then I got to thinking about it. I was really pissed. Because I wasn't overweight, but I wasn't, I was just stressed to the max with work and I had nothing else. And I decided to go back. And when I went back, and this was a Gold's gym, I went back and I, I said, well, I need somebody to give me direction. So I looked at group fitness classes because, you know, I had tried them when I was younger and I went to one and I stood in the front of the group fitness class so that I couldn't leave. So that I couldn't, if I had to leave, everybody would see me walking out in the walk of shame. And I loved it. And pretty soon I started to get fitter. And after a couple of months, I started going to every single group fitness class that Gold's Gym offered. I was going for a couple of hours a night because sometimes us runners, we don't do anything lightly. Type A's, yep. we go zero to 60. There's no in between. Zero to um, all zero to all in. To all in. <laughs> and, and so I got really, really fit. I got fit to a level that I had never been fit before in my life from just doing these group X classes. But I, uh, at that time I had, there was a trainer there at the gym who just run a Ragnar relay and um, she did the road version and she was talking to me and she's like, you should do this. And she actually challenged me to it. And this is late 2013. And I'm like, I'll never be a runner. Not going to happen. Ron, I couldn't even run a quarter mile. I would stop and huff and puff because as a new runner and as somebody in my late thirties, I was like, well, I should be able to run like, the, like, like the least, right? Like I thought running was sprinting. I didn't know anything about math training, like, you know, heart rate training, or you got to run slow to run fast or just freaking shoveling or interval. I knew nothing. So I had some friends that I had met through group exercise and I, we took on this challenge and we decided to register for a, a, a Ragnar trail race in Appalachian. So it's the one in West Virginia. It is absolutely my favorite and it always rains and there's always thunderstorms. It's, we call them Ragnitos. But anyway, I had some friends that I had met through this, through, through goals and they took me out on my first runs. These were people who took me under the wing and said, let me show you how it's done. By the way, you don't have to sprint it. <laughs> um, but before that happened, right before that happened, I, I, I decided that once I was fit, I decided to, to revisit my love for trail. Um, you know, going hearkening back to what I did with my dad. And we live so close to the Appalachian Trail here. I live five minutes away from Harper's Ferry. Um, 
And so I, we have one trail there. It's not part of the Appalachian Trail, but it's called Maryland Heights. And it's pretty, uh, pretty steep. And there's a beautiful overlook. And um, I, I was hiking regularly, hiking on the CNO. And one day I went up to Maryland Heights. And as I started, and I'm swear, this is going to sound so cheesy, but I have four stop moment. And yes, my name is Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> I started hiking this trail and I decided to just kind of start running. Um, so I realized that I was able to run for the first time. I had run, it was this epiphany where I realized that I had the fitness and then all of a sudden, everything from my childhood and all of those hundreds of hikes that I had been on and all of that muscle memory of learning how to traverse rocks and all of that came connected with my fitness ability. And I ran the whole goddamn thing. And if, if anybody's familiar with Maryland Heights, there is one hill on there that's horrendous. And I remember I'm chogging up it and Ron, I'm going so slow, but I'm flogging, I'm going. And I passed this guy and he goes, oh my gosh, you're running on this? And for the first moment, I was like, oh my God, I can run. And I ran the whole thing, got back down, went back on the CNO and it ends up, it terminates right there at Harper's Ferry Bridge, which you passed in the JFK 50 course. And I called my husband and I was bawling. I said, I just ran. I was able to do this. So, so then we connected that with the running that my friends were teaching me how to do. And they would take me on a 5K course and they would run and talk to me. So they were teaching me conversational running. And, and they, we formed a team and we ran, we ran this Ragnar. And my very first big race uh, we had a torrential thunderstorm that shut the race down, which was on my first leg that I was running in my first big race. And so, um, I was so glad that that happened because it, it gave, it gave me grit in a race. So my first experience was in a race that was shut down, but I was still on course running and it was really an amazing, magical experience. So, you know, to connect the beginning of my story to kind of where I am now in life. Those same people who helped me learn to run um, that year. So 2014 was the year I started running. Um, and that later on that year, we, we are very big on supporting local in our local running community. And I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Mark Cucuzella, but he is local in our community and he founded the first minimalist running store. Um, and, and it's called Two Rivers Treads and it's here. And he has a, he has a race series called Freedom's Run. Um, and in October every year, we run uh, through Antietam, uh, and, and it is an absolutely amazing race. Well, those folks who helped me learn to run, we were all running in Antietam, and we were at Freedom's Run, and my husband came up with this brilliant idea, and he goes, wouldn't it be great if we had a way at races to kind of recognize and rally all the people who are our friends in the community to kind of cheer for them? And, and no matter what their level of, of, of running was, uh, particularly the middle to the back of the Packers, the people who really struggle. And he came up with the idea to have kind of signs and posters and shouting each other out. And at the same time, my husband is an ex-adventure racer. And so he was very much involved in fitness, was, was very active. This is one of the reasons he really wanted me to go back to the gym. Um, and he was a race director. And he decided with the people who taught me to first run that they founded a local organization, which was free, called Bros and Broths. 
and Bros and Bras, it stands for uh, Bracken's Racing uh, Organization, Bracken's Racing Association, but the Bros and Bras is kind of a kitschy name. I love it. Some people have problems with the bras. Rest assured, a bra is one of the founders, so you know, like I, we're good. <laughs> I am a proud bra. <laughs> hey, man, people have a problem with anything today. We, we know that. You know what? Everybody just needs to loosen the fuck up, man. Everything. You know what? Have a little more fun in life and be a little more irreverent. Life will go on, you know, just, you know, and some fun names like that, that can go a bunch of different ways. Enjoy it, man. Just, you know. And we're all bras and we have really fun, silly names. And I'm, I'm kind of bra actual. My mother, my husband's bro actual. So, so he creates this organization and he's a race director. So we put on some 5Ks, but really what this was, was to bring health and wellness to our community in a way that was inviting what I found hard about going to Gold's Gym for the first time is I felt like I didn't belong. I felt like everybody was looking at me and everybody was judging me. And so this organization was aimed to, our motto was no judgment, no expectations. Everybody is welcome. And the best thing is, is we have this system of celebrating everybody, no matter where they are as runners. And when we first started, we had folks who had, who had never run before, just like me. We had folks that were just walkers and they were happy to be walkers, bikers, cyclists, or, or, or hikers, cyclists. And when we would go to races, we had this guide on where we put all of our race ribbons and we would run the people in or those folks would run with the guide on in and they would race in. So in some of my pictures, you'll see me holding the guide on. That's bros and bras. And that is really to represent and to celebrate health and wellness in our community. And all these years later, it's still going strong. We are now partnered with Dr. Mark Cucuzella in his running store. That's where our headquarters is. We have several meetups a week. And I feel very proud because I wanted to give, we wanted to give the gift uh, that, that I discovered late in life to other people in our community. And so that's kind of our mission right now to help bring people out and let them know that it's not a scary thing. You don't have to be an elite runner to come out. Just, just come out and try I love everything about that story. I definitely am trying to visualize your outfit because that was easily <laughs> the best. I think we might need some photos if you have any in the Wayback Machine. We might have to include that in the post, your uh, original outfit that you rolled into Gold's Gym with. You know, They probably were like thinking like, maybe we should kick her out. Her <laughs> outfit isn't up to standards. Then you go off into the cycling room and I'm waiting for it to be a great story where you rode for like five hours, but it's even better because you rode for five minutes and got the hell out of there because- I and you know what was crazy is that, you know, once I learned to run, the running wasn't the end of the story and the bros and bras wasn't the end of the story. I then took it to the next level because I have to do that. So after a while at Gold's Gym, I started getting fitter and fitter and fitter. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I, why didn't I do this when I was young? I had no idea that I had the body that I could train or the engine. People don't know what they can do. And I look at people this way. I look at people who are just starting out and I'm like. You could be a Boston qualifier and you don't even know it because you haven't tried it. You just, and, and it doesn't matter if you do that even. Go out and do something and try and prove to yourself that you can rise. You can, you can be better. You don't have to sit in your house in the dark and do nothing. So after goals, I, was, uh, I, I met some other folks in the community also who were in health and wellness. And I became a CrossFit athlete for four years and, and got into all of that and, and Unfortunately, also uh, also grinded my body into the ground uh, because I wanted to see all that I can do. And I did some really, truly amazing things, got to do some great competitions. 
Um, and it made me a better runner. But then I decided that really running was where it was at. It, you know, Ron, it always bothered me that I couldn't run. And that's why I, when, when that, that trainer dropped a challenge to run the first Ragnar, I was like, I'm never going to do this. But God damn, I'm so tired of not being able to run that I would always go back to that kid version of me in gym class, who was the one that was self-conscious. And I didn't want anybody to see me. And I could hear myself breathing every time I ran. And in fact, going into JFK, because we couldn't have headphones, that was in the back of my mind. What's going to happen when I hear that breathing? Is it going to mess me up? So it was so so I got into the CrossFit and then I dialed it back and decided I'm going to go for this running thing. I'm going to see what I can do. But I was a late bloomer in all things. I was I, I started almost as a master's. I am exceptionally proud to be a master's athlete right now. Um, but as I built up my running, some people get into running and they just go, I'm, an, I'm a superstar. It took me a very long time to build distance and, 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 and make no mistake for all that I'm describing here. I had a couple of years where I was solid, still didn't believe I would ever become a runner because it was so hard for me to actually run distance for a very long time. Trail was the only place that I found my true love and I still am a true bona fide trail runner. Well, that's a great place because I want to bring you all the way back, like super far back um, into the earlier part of this story, which I love. Um, one of the whole reasons, you know, that I brought this podcast to be is, you know, that out on runs with friends in Central Park, you know, riding, running miles on the bridal path or up at Van Cortlandt or wherever the hell we were running, you know, that's where we all like let our guards down. That's where we all just like leave our inhibitions behind. And if our, you know, we're arguing with our significant other or work is tough or money's tight or there's a family health crisis going on. You know, we just don't worry about exactly how we're going to couch a conversation, man. We're, we're having trouble breathing to begin with where if it's a harder run and if it's an easier run, we're just kind of like taking it in. But it's those moments out there on the trail or on the road where you just kind of open yourself up to your friends and you just like leave the judgment shit behind. It's, it's the judgment free zone. So that's, the big part of the whole like underlying piece was to have those kind of conversations where you're out there and you're not worried about what anybody's going to think or what you say in a post on Facebook or Instagram or anything else. You're just going to, you're going to be authentic. You're going to be your true self and you're going to say what you say because they're your friends. It's safe. It's okay. And going all the way back there, my other big, big goal was to be able to get people that either had never, ever run before, ever or in your case, that is you, or maybe somebody who had run in their youth, but didn't have a great experience. They didn't like their breathing. Maybe they didn't like their gym class instructor yelling them to run faster in the mile, or maybe they didn't like their gym class instructor telling them to climb the rope, whatever the hell, you know, shit we have or hangups and inhibitions we have from our youth. Sometimes it just really blocks us. Right. And you know, you're in your house and you're basically not going out telling your neighbor, you're not going to see her till spring. Hey, man, you were, in a, you were in a tough spot, man. That wasn't exactly a good spot for you, all right? And you've gone from there to where you are today. But where I wanted to go to is the moment you had on the trail was everything because, and this is why it's everything. When people don't run, our natural inclination is to go back to being eight years old again or five years old. What did we do when we were five or eight? We ran as hard as we could across the playground until we, our lungs were breathing and we were bleeding blood or you know gasping for air and fall over. That's how you learn to run when you're a kid. You chase someone as hard as you can until your lungs blow. We don't run with pace in mind. You don't run to say, I'm going to run all the way to the park, which is a mile away. You run as fast as you can until you can't run anymore and then you're dead. So... 
I constantly counsel people who haven't run at all and never, ever have gotten into this sport. I say to them, look, you're starting off on a treadmill. Put it on like one mile per hour. I don't care. Walk for the first 20 minutes. Don't even think about putting it onto a running speed. Make sure it's on zero incline. Only after you're really loose, just little by little, inch it up a half mile, inch it up another half mile, inch up a little bit mile, and just say to yourself, I'm going to run for a minute or a minute and a half, and then I'll walk again or I'll do that. And the same thing goes, I'm a big believer in being outside. I'm a big believer in being out in the real elements, in the cold, in the rain, in the snow, and all those things, because you know why? You'll never feel more alive being outside in the elements. Riding my bike in the cold weather when no one else is out there, it makes me feel like a badass. I'm like, the park is empty. No one else is riding their bike today. I'm going. I'm going out here today. I'm going, and I'll run in a pelting rainstorm in the snow. But you found your footing, and you found your pace that day because the trail... A, you were comfortable, so you were relaxed. That's your spot. You had had all those moments with your dad, but B, there's no way to run really hard on a trail that's that difficult. You just can't. It's not even safe. So you had to force the pace that you should have been running on a regular run when you were first starting out, but you didn't know how to do that. You didn't know how to regulate it. So that's like such a big lesson. So if anybody out there hasn't run in a long time, they're getting back into it, just slow yourself down. Don't worry. I don't even care. Turn your watch over. Don't even turn it on. Just say, I'm going to run. And you can say, I'm going to run to the tree. And then I'm going to run to the next tree. I'm going to run to a traffic light. I don't care. You can say, I'm not even going to think that far ahead. Just pacing is so important. And then you found your pace. You found your rhythm on that run. And then passing that guy on the really steep section, that just, it's just emboldens you to like keep going like, wow, I'm, I'm doing this shit. Like I got it. And then from there, it all kind of, you know, the momentum builds, right? The inertia builds. And it's like, you know, this is now a habit, like it's coming together. So tell me, tell me what you think about that. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. I think the greatest lesson that I learned as I was trying to learn to run was to slow the app down (laughs) (laughs) and find any way to do that. But we really need to understand where we come from and who we are as children. Um, As children, most of us, I like to believe, are naturally inquisitive and explorers. And we forget, we lose that part of us. It's it's like we have this little veil that that, that comes over us as we get older and, and we have these excuses that hold us back. When you connect with the earth and you connect with nature and your grounding or, or whatever you want to call it, you feel this primal sense of satisfaction, like it's where you should be. And what that does for me is that takes me back to being a kid, the explorer. And when you find that and you realize that it becomes addictive and you want to seek that out again. And so find those places where you feel comfortable, where you get to that Zen place like I did on trail. A lot of people can't stand trail. That's okay. If you go to a park or you go to the beach or you go someplace where you are on your bike, where it feels like that place where you can just let go and kind of Zen out. and, And I call it hypnotic. Um, almost. I think that that is such a valuable lesson that we can all teach other people, particularly those learning to run. I, I have, I cannot even tell you, Ron, how many people have come to me not knowing my background and said, oh, well, I, I'm not a fast runner, so I can't run with you. And I'm like, can I tell you my story? Can I tell you where I came from? 
because you don't, it doesn't, nobody gives a shit. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Or people shouldn't give a shit. And that's where tribe comes in with the nature and finding your comfortable spot. And all of the story that, that, that I gave you, it started alone, but where I really left it off was where I found other people. The reason I stayed at Gold's Gym classes versus leaving is because I found a group setting. I found people who were like-minded and I found people who would encourage me that didn't judge me for my form. Didn't, I didn't, I felt completely comfortable talking to them. I left all, I left all the stresses of the world, just as you're talking about. And, and I gained the most amazing friends who made me forget sometimes how hard it was out there or who, who held my hands or, or wiped my tears when I was crying because the days were so hard. They helped me rise. The tribe for me, and, and, and I can very much tend to be an introvert, believe it or not, the tribe for me helped me stay outside of that dark house that I was living in because I had, a, I had people to be accountable to um, who cared about me that made all the difference for me. And that's why, that's why we formed this organization as well, because we wanted to give that gift to other people right now, especially with COVID, there's a lot of lonely people out there and, and a lot of people that don't want to come out of their houses. Um, and they need a reason, they need a reason and they need to know that other people care and that they see them. I think that we can all do a better job at reaching out to people instead of just assuming that everybody's okay. Cause I can tell you, there's a lot of people that are not okay. And I used to be one of those people. There's, there's so many good points that you just raised in there. And yeah, um, it can be a very solitary sport running. You don't really need a companion. You don't need a dog. You don't need another human to run. You can go on a business trip. You can go out your own door. You could run in the morning, the night, whenever, in any weather. You could run indoors. I mean, there's just so many ways that you can accomplish getting from point A to point B. But without a doubt, you know, having a tribe, having a group of like-minded people um, that you open yourself up to um, and you become part of them, they become part of you. And you, in a way, depend on each other um, for to pick you up when you're having a shitty day. Um, maybe you don't get a run in, but you pop on a quick FaceTime or a quick Zoom call and just, you know, chat. You have a cocktail hour, whatever, just whatever, man, had a shitty day. You, those same kind of conversations you can have on the run, you have with your friends. And you're absolutely right as far as like group runs. You know, New York was incredibly hard hit. And, you know, still we're, you know, we're doing much, much better than we were earlier in the year. But still, you know, it's just, it's not the easiest of times. Um, and I am the, the ultimate social runner, man. I'm the group organizer. I'm the one putting those big group runs together. I'm the one making sure everybody's, you know, mugging it up and hugging for selfies and going out for coffee or drinks if it's at night. Cause that's just the part of it that I miss the most. Um, but you know what, uh, you can still get so much out of it by connecting. You know, maybe you're not going to connect with a whole group right now. Maybe it's one or two people. You can run safely. You can be outside and be safe. Um, we talked before we came on the air about uh, the stuff that went down. You know, stories being written about JFK being irresponsible running the race. You know, people just people just have got to like keep it together. Like the judgment zones have gotten wildly out of control. If anyone thinks you can't put a safe race on running on a trail where people are going to be far apart and we had our buffs up at every single aid station. For anybody who doesn't know this about JFK, you want to talk about 
you know, 58 years of running a race, a lot of lessons learned, so much work by them to put this race together in a safe fashion. The race expo in a small little hotel, the windows and doors were open. One person at a time went in there to pick up their bib and credentials and get out of there. I mean, every single thing that you can think of where contact might occur, they mitigated that and thought it through. So they should be applauded. And, you know, look, everybody, it's a free world. Everyone has a right to their own opinion. Uh, but I know some people were questioning me, like going down there to run. I am, I am proud of the fact that I got my ass in my car and I drove all the way down there because I paid for a hotel for two nights. I bought some meals that I ate in my room alone, but I still, you know, contributed to the economy. I bought some merchandise. I met you and a bunch of other really fucking awesome people down there at that race. I met Devin, I met Mike, I met the race director team. Those aid station people, their their faces and their smiles are imprinted on my head and my brain. The people with the dogs along the way and the signs on the course, I know them now. I mean, I don't maybe don't know their names, but I saw them at one station after another. And you better believe they recognized me in my red, white, and blue shorts and my run with Riv shirt. And they were giving me shout outs and they made my day so special. So there's just too many damn people that are just, you know, it's all or nothing. You know, you just can't, you gotta be willing to just, you know, I'm not, it's not even a matter of taking risk. Things can be done safely. You can go outside of your house and go for a run safely. And you know what? I guarantee you, if you do, you are going to feel a lot better and you're going to breathe a little easier. And I bet you're going to sleep better at night and you'll reduce the level of anxiety that you're having. Running is not canceled. And I feel very strongly about this as well. And I also saw all of the feedback and you know, there was a lot of haterade being being thrown. There's shots fired um, at, at a lot of people for their choice of, of choosing to run in a public event. Um, first of all, you know, and, and to go back on my point in running in groups, I should also say that because I still am an introverted heart, I, damn it, I love my single, solo runs too. It works out all the cobwebs. But right now, in our in our climate, with a lot of people struggling, one of the best ways to combat depression and, um, and and to kind of find a purpose to get through this is physical activity and physical activity specifically outside, getting the fresh air. Um, and so this entire year, and I have put everything into training for this whole year, the concern was don't get COVID, don't get COVID, don't get sick. And it almost became an obsession with me. I was it, my poor husband. It was so difficult that I actually uh, quarantined, self-quarantined for the two weeks before the race. Um, my husband left on a camping trip with his boys. And then when he came back, stayed in a hotel because he'd been in contact with people. Um, most people can't take it to this level, but I knew that if this race were to go on, that I wanted to be responsible by making sure I was safe but also the volunteers and everybody who'd sacrificed their time and all of the work to put this race on could also be safe. Um, I have a very hard time with the criticism and I, and I get it and I, and I respect it as well, but you can't say that going out with all of the incredible protocols that JFK 50 put in place. And there were many, and they, I mean, masks up at every aid station, masks when you're passing people, keeping distance. They could not have done a better job at being meticulously careful with everybody. Um, but you can't sit there 
and say, you shouldn't be doing this if you're also a person going to a grocery store mask or going to a public place or a Walmart where you have way more contact or maybe just the same level. You're also assuming some sort of level of risk. And my stance is get outside, be active. It is one of the safest things you can do. All of us can do our part to be uh, proactive and protect ourselves while we are in those group environments. But I am a person who is so thankful, not just selfishly because I trained for this race, but so thankful that we had this race because we, some of us need this. We really need to see, to have some sort of almost sense of normalcy out there in the world. And it's, it was a wonderful experience to cheer people on who were out there with us. And I know the field was dramatically cut. There were far fewer people than in most years, but the people that I got to meet, when I've run ultras before, I have never met the caliber of people that I met in the JFK 50. People who have done this multiple times, I met you. It was like you become instant besties out there. And I'm so glad that I didn't miss out on that because of what's happening. But it's it's been very hard to kind of weed through all of the feedback and the heat that this race and other races are taking for going on. And in fact, Ron, I wasn't sure that we would even run this race up until the day before. I We didn't know if it was going to be canceled. And there was a lot of talk online that wasn't helping at all, you know? Yeah. I'm same page. Um, before I drove down, I waited easily two more hours than I would have to start my journey because just knowing myself that the socialization piece of going to the expo is always, you know, just gets the adrenaline going and it's different, you know, in a marathon, your goal is to run a fast time and in an ultra, you may, you know, if you're Camille Heron, sure, you're going to run a fast time. If you're Jared Hansen or Jim Walmsley or David Goggins, they're going to run fast times, but um, fast is all relative anyway. It's 50 miles. I mean, it's 50 miles Think about how long it takes you to drive your car 50 miles. We ran 50 miles, man. It's badass and it's awesome and it needs to be celebrated. And look, there's going to be haterade and haters in every walk of life right now because, and I, I am a little more forgiving right now just because I just think so many of us are in dark places. We've lost family. We've lost colleagues. We've lost friends. Um, and we all just want some kind of return to normalcy. So that's why I chose to get in my car and drive down there. You know, two months after a major bike crash, I wasn't prepared. I hadn't run more than 13 miles. I had no business trying to run 50 miles. I've never run on a technical trail that even resembles the AT that I ran on. Not even close. I'm sure I've run on single track before and I've run on trails with lots of elevation, but not to that level of difficulty and with so many leaves covering rocks, I mean, even the most experienced runner, someone who runs there all the time could easily, you know, end up down in a ditch or seriously banged up. Um, so, you know, I'm just, I'm so thankful, um, for every one of those people I met, every volunteer, every person out there, because you said it, we need it, man. Our souls need it as human beings. We need that interaction. And when I'd see a little girl's face or a little boy's face or a dog or, you know, people out there with their little fires and their little chairs. And, and there were people out on the course who actually know me, you know, that were, that lived down there and they're like yelling for me. And I came to a stop and, you know, it just made 
my day like so so incredibly special now do i wish that we could have hugged at the finish line with people like we normally do of course do i wish we could have gone to a bar and all had drinks together of course do i wish we could have hung out in the at the number pickup and all took a bunch of pictures sure but you know what it didn't change anything that race was amazing it charged my batteries for like, I don't know how long, but it charged my batteries. That feeling of accomplishment, of being tested, of being in a spot where, hey, I can run a marathon. I did 10 in 10 weeks, okay? I'm blessed, you know, from God, from my mom, my mom's endurance. I'm blessed with an ability to, to keep going when things are hard and just, you know, kind of keep soldiering on, if you will. But running 50 miles when you haven't run more than 13 that's like different, you know, I was incredibly fit before my bike crash, but trust me, I had no idea if I was really going to be able to make it, but being out there with those people and being on that path, it was like amazing. And you know what? It was, I'm so thankful for it. So, but I don't want to talk about what I was feeling. I want you to take me through, you know, what your buildup was like. And then your actual race day experience, you know, what you were feeling on the course, like, Talk to me about your race, because it was your first JFK. It was my first JFK. And Ron, I love hearing what you're feeling. I, I feed off of that uh, so much. I love hearing other racers' experiences, because this was such an extraordinary time for us. So I appreciate you sharing that. But I also appreciate your perspective, because you come from an area that was hit so hard. Early on in COVID, all we were hearing about were the hospitalizations and deaths from your area. And having lived in that area for a while, it was particularly heart-wrenching and things that I think the rest of the country couldn't yet relate to because they didn't yet know somebody that close. So I appreciate you sharing that because I think your perspective is very valuable. You're not coming from a small town saying, I don't know anybody affected and I'm just going to go and screw you all. Saying, no, I come from people who are affected. And I think that as we get into this next part that I'm going to talk about, I think it's valuable to also talk about your motivations and I appreciate you sharing those. Um, you know, when I saw you on the trail and, and we were, we were both in a point where I'm sure we were tired, but I still had great energy. I was still excited. Saw your shorts. And then I saw your run with ribs. And of course we saw the run with ribs poster along the course, um, that was near Harper's Ferry. And doesn't that just drive everything home? We're doing things for a greater purpose. You're running all of those marathons, which is incredible, and doing all of the big marathons to completing that, first of all, amazing. Um, that's for a greater purpose. That's to show people that there's hope out there. That's to show people that we can rise and we don't have to be stuck in the lives that we feel like we're destined to, to just rot in. Um, that we can rise above difficult times, even in times where we as a community are sharing the difficulties, but we can't really talk about it. Hell, we can't even hug each other. Um, we can't even feel each other's energy through touch. Um, so when I decided to run JFK, and this was my first 50 miler. So before this, my longest distance was a 50K. Actually, a little bit over, I'd done uh, almost 33 miles, and I had done a couple of them trail. Uh, because I'm a trail runner and what's better than trail running an ultra? <laughs> what ultras are. Exactly. Um, I have a friend and his name is Travis Mielison. And he has run the JFK five times now. He has finished twice. He is a uh, a recovering opiate addict or the opiate user, prescription opiates. And if you're familiar with West Virginia and all of our country, 
a prescription opiate addiction is rampant, but particularly in West Virginia, it is truly an epidemic. Um, and Travis, through his recovery 10 years ago, uh, discovered running. And it became his way out um, because he had that addictive personality and substance use was so, uh, it was so unbelievable, his story of deciding to go become clean. He had a catastrophic uh, uh, back injury, an issue, multiple fusions, uh, surgeries, was told he would never be able to uh, walk unassisted, uh, was on disability for 10 years of his life. And during that time, he became addicted to the painkillers that were prescribed to him for that. Um, so he almost died um, uh, uh, going through his recovery. And when he came out the other side, he discovered running, uh, became an incredible runner, uh, ran multiple, multiple marathon marathons um, and wanted to uh, take on this challenge to represent the community that this is what you can do through recovery. And so five years ago, um, he set out to run his first JFK and was pulled from the course. Um, he was pulled from the course three of the five years that he's run. He was never, he never quit. He just couldn't make it in time. Um, and one of the times he was pulled from the last cutoff, uh, I believe mile 46. Yeah. It's, uh, which is incredibly painful. And so he had the wherewithal to say, no, nope, I'm going to come back and do it again. I'm represent, representing something greater. So this story was featured on the news and Dr. Mark Kukazella, who I mentioned before, also was a huge champion of his. Um, and, and he would feature his story and say, this is Travis and he's going out again and we all rally behind him. And I read his story and it resonated with me. When I was 24 years ago, um, I was engaged to be married to a man who had a prescription opiate addiction. And this was before the epidemic. This was before we, we knew a lot about what these drugs were doing to people. Also had a catastrophic back issue, uh, was just caused him to be in constant pain. Um, and he proposed to me. And I said, well, as a condition of marrying you, uh, you're going you're gonna to address this problem. Um, and he did. And he came clean literally to everybody and uh, entered an inpatient treatment program where he died two days, two days later. Um, and he uh, I was his supporter through the whole thing. Um, obviously, I was not a, a drug user. I was not uh, I was did not suffer from substance use, anything like that. But I was his I was his support through all of it for a very long time before he went into treatment. And he was also an only child. I was living with his family at the time because his parents were helping me get back and forth to community college classes and work. And and I said before that my younger life was very difficult. This was kind of the tail end of that. Um, when he passed away, I sort of became a surrogate child to his parents. I, I lived with them for almost a year and we wallowed in our grief and it was awful, the worst thing imaginable. It was um, that he died, died in his sleep um, and in a treatment center and, and there was nothing we could do about it. And for many years, I was crippled by that. I could not, I could not move on with my life. I didn't know what to make of it. I had spent so much time being his support and I lost everything. So fast forward, I read Travis's story and I see the similarities, obviously. And I go, oh my gosh, this is somebody who actually made it out. He almost died in treatment as well. Actually, he went through it without treatment. 
Uh, his mother is a nurse and she watched over him um, and it was very bad. So I look at him and I go, this is a person who made it out. And so I decided to reach out to him and say, it was a Facebook post. And I said, I don't know you, but I appreciate your story. And I want you to know that I believe in you. And he has the post somewhere. And we became friends. He was in the community and, and he was a runner. And I, I eventually got a chance to meet him and I shared my story with him. And we got to talking about it and we were like, it would be really great if we could make a greater meaning for this and help serve our community that's battling substance use. And so last year when he was running the JFK 50, of course, he hadn't finished any JFK 50s yet. Um, I knew he was going to finish. And I said, if you finish this year, I will run it next year. And so drop that bed. <laughs> we dropped the challenge in that dojo. Love um, it. And there was no walking away. And, and he finished. He finished with 12 minutes to spare. And there were tears and the whole community was together and everybody's like, was finished. we can't believe it. And so that started last November, my journey to decide to, to go ahead and train for this. I was like, well, I can't back out now. And Travis and I went into this with the goal of bringing awareness to both of our sides what we represent. I He represents those who are recovered and, and are looking to recover and struggling in our community. And I represent the people who are often on the back end, quietly suffering and supporting those people. And sometimes we support them and they, they don't survive. And how do we continue to live our lives? How do we find greater meaning? Um, and that gave us so much purpose as we train for this. When you're training for any ultra, but a 50 miler, there's so much time and grit that needs to go into your training. There are so many hard days. Hard, my hard days were my speed days, but like so many days where you're just like, I, I can't do this. <laughs> I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to be a runner. I never, I cannot see myself doing this. And of course, because I knew Travis, all I knew is he had struggled so hard to finish it. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to finish it myself because I was not a distance runner. These, these big old German legs are made for sprinting. I got strong legs, <laughs> um, not for long distance. So we made a plan and we said, let's commit to go and train together. And we spent from last November a year, I had multiple training cycles. I hired a coach. So I wasn't just training, training, training and grinding myself. Um, and we had the most amazing year. We committed to training with each other, even though we couldn't always run together because we have different paces, but we always started together and we always finished together. We spent so much time on the Appalachian Trail, not just this section that we ran here, but I connected it with other sections. And I actually spent almost a solid month going to the Appalachian Trail in different sections every single day because it was feeding my soul. Um, and But through all of it, you have this drive of what is your why? Like you talked about that before, finding out what is your motivation? You had your motivations. You didn't know what was going to happen after your bike accident, but you knew that you had this drive to move forward. I'm going to try. I know I might fail. The best thing about running a 50 miler and taking on a goal like that is that you don't know if you've never done it. It's a goal so much bigger than yourself. And I think that those are the goals that are most worth chasing. That's that's so perfect for a stop point for a second. 
because most of uh, my audience, people who are tuning in, you know, the marathon's the furthest they've gone to this point. Um, maybe some of them have maybe run a 50K in training, um, done an over-distance run somewhere along the way if they're really hardcore like um, some of my friends. But some of them, that's it. That's the furthest they've gone and in their marathon cycle, 2022, 20, maybe 23, 24. So there's this like kind of fear of the unknown. I just, I'm just putting it out there. You know, my last guest was not only a five-time Boston runner, but she's, she's finished two Ironmans and qualified for Kona, like just total badass, totally focused on mindset, coaching other humans to, you know, achieve like peak performance. Like what are we really capable of? And I'm just saying, this is not, this is not a humble brag. It isn't a brag in any way. I had no idea if I was going to finish that race. You're nodding your head, Jenny. And I know you know that that's the truth. I had no idea. I had the fear of God because I put that on my own head and my own shoulders. Because when you do something for someone else, a charity, the American Cancer Society, Tommy Rives, the opiate addiction, when you're doing something for somebody else, it will always carry more meaning. It will always matter more. You will always be able to reach deeper into your heart and soul to push through the darkest and the toughest spots. And and when I fell on the trail, I think it might've been the best thing that could have happened to me because it's such a long day anyway. It's so long. You're out there forever. And it was six miles in. So it was like halfway through the AT portion. So from there, I was on my guard even more and I wasn't worried, man. I looked down and see that blood going everywhere. I was like, it was pretty cool. Maybe I'll get some good photos out of this. But you know, for like the first I don't know, 10 minutes, I just every nerve receptor because it was my shin, my knee, and my ankle. Like three of the places that just scream pain because there's so many nerves in there. I was like, that's why adrenaline, and for anybody out there that ever takes a hard fall on the trail, I'm gonna tell you the most important thing I was ever taught. You get the hell back up on your feet as quickly as humanly possible and you get going. I don't care if you're walking, hobbling, limping, whatever, you get moving because immediately your body's reaction will be to flood the adrenaline in there and it will pour it in there and it will do what it's supposed to do. Because within a matter of minutes, I wasn't feeling the pain in there anymore. It was only when I got off the trail and like got onto the solid ground. At, you, you know the station I'm talking about because that's normally where people, they always have a sneaker change out section there and people change their shoes before they get ready to run the CNO. And I'm, I felt like I'd won the race. I got off the trail. I survived, you know? And like, do you want us to clean that out? I'm like, nope, don't touch it, man. I was afraid, hey man, there might be a bone sticking out. So I'm like, don't touch me, leave me alone. If I keep moving, I'll be okay. So, you know, it's like, it's just one of, one of those things. And you know, I mean, I just say to everybody out there, right now, we know there aren't going to be the major marathons. When I say the majors, I'm talking about Tokyo, Boston, London, Chicago, New York, Berlin. They're not going to happen at least in the first half of the year. Well, only Tokyo, Boston, and London traditionally would follow there anyway, but they're also already moved. I mean, Tokyo and London's dates are moved. Boston hasn't officially moved their date yet. So you're not going to run a marathon with 40, 50,000 runners right now. Get over it. Face the reality you're in and just get over it. Try something different. I guarantee you'll thank me. I guarantee you'll thank me. That's why I got Jenny on here telling her story. That's why I'm going to have more people that are doing ultra and Ironmans and stuff on here because I, you're going to thank me because this is what you can do right now. Nobody's stopping you from going to sign up for a 50K, a 50 miler, a 100K, a 100 miler, 200 miler. You want to do something crazy that you have absolutely no idea on earth if you were going to finish, process that. 
I don't know if I'm going to finish. When's the last time you signed up for a marathon and said, I don't know if I'm going to finish? I never, ever thought that. Only in my very first one. Never, ever once. Only in my first one. After that, I never once considered, was I going to finish? Maybe plenty of other people do, and that's not a judgment. It just, we're all in different places. We're all come into things at different fitness levels. Some people are doing it for charity, and they're going to walk or walk, run, you know, huge chunks of it. So in their mind, maybe they are worried about finishing. But ultra is different in that regard. And when you take on something where you don't even know if you're going to finish, that's cool. And you didn't know, even though you worked for a whole year, you got into it because he finished and you made a commitment. And then it's like, Oh, I got to do this thing now. So you didn't know. It's, it's terrifying. I really should share this because it's a little embarrassing, but this is share it. I also have had the same experience as you that I really never knew if I was going to finish something until I actually did my first, my first were like that. Actually, my first half marathon was like that because I didn't, I went in a gym training run, my leg gave out and and I was dragging it for three miles. And that was humiliating. I'm like, I guess everybody's going to be able to run a half marathon, but me. And then I went back, didn't know if I could run my first and did my first 50 K was the same. Um, I, so with this JFK though, there was this level of fear. This is the embarrassing part. It took over my entire life on, I took on a goal that for myself was so massive. Every time I ran, I pictured going into the finish here, but I was telling a friend this, I could never picture myself on the course, even though in training, I ran every single section of the course multiple times. Because I would come off that AT and the AT is my jam. I mean, I rock that AT because I'm a trail runner. And then I get onto the CNO and my hamstrings start to get crippled. And I go, oh my gosh, there's no way I can do this for a marathon. So this year I ran Marine Corps virtually on, on that whole section just to know that I could do it. But I honestly did not think I could do it. And everybody tried to pump me up and saying, you're prepared. You've done this all year. And I was like, Anything can happen in a 50 mile. I was so crippled by it that for the last probably three to four months, I have not slept through the night. Every night I have woken up, been awake for a couple of hours a night, and then somehow managed to go back to sleep. My sleep has been affected. My eating has been affected. It is like it's and not to be dramatic, but it felt as if every single day I was standing on the edge of an airplane door getting ready to skydive. It was the same feeling as when you're going to do something like really freaking scary. And it, I, it crippled me. It, and I was afraid of, I became superstitious of everything. And then you add COVID into it where I'm afraid to leave my house because I'm like, I can't get sick. And then I, when I started the race, the strangest thing happened because I was really afraid of that, like the first hill going up because I knew that that was just going to be a pain in the ass. I was like, just get me to the AT and I know how to go to work. Um, I started running and I didn't feel any pain. And I was going, what, what is this? Like, I don't understand. I totally expected to be in a pain cave from the beginning. And you know, inevitably you hit a pain cave. And I did, but I felt okay. And when I probably just before I saw you on course, I got a little emotional because I realized it wasn't until then that I realized I'm going to finish this and I might finish this in the daylight. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> but I 
honest to God, did not think I would finish it. And I thought, and I couldn't handle, because I'm such a type A, I couldn't handle the thought of where my mind would go if I didn't finish it. Because I'm not strong like Travis. I can't keep coming back. Or maybe I don't know if I can. I didn't know how that would affect me. And I was so terrified of the failure that I almost just wanted to retreat and just I didn't talk to people. I started getting really super introverted in the last couple of weeks before because I was just like, my mind can't handle this right now. So yeah, it's a little embarrassing. I got really over dramatic with it, but it's where you go when you when you you tackle something that's so big to you. Thank you for sharing that because those are the real insights. Um, and most people will not be willing to be that honest and just put it out there and be transparent like that. Um, and for those of, of you listening at home, we, we ran into each other around 40 or 40.5, something like that, 41.5, something like that. So it's, it's eight, eight and a half miles to go. Like, just put that in context when you're really fit and we're obviously both really fit. Um, it's not about how fast you're going to run or what pace per mile or you, you just know she knew at that point, you know, she absolutely knew beyond the shadow of a doubt. Jenny knew that she could even walk it in from there and she was going to finish with hours and hours to spare. She could run, walk it in and still have a great time, but you broke 10. I mean, and, and by a significant amount, right? I mean, you, you were under sub 10, which is just an awesome, awesome accomplishment, even for a seasoned, um, 50 mile runner of the JFK course. I mean, it's just a phenomenal time, but I know what you were feeling because that's probably right around the point where I think I realized that maybe a few miles back of there. Um, and I've done something I'd never done because in the, in the other 50 miler that I told you I'd run up in Ithaca, I had to walk a lot of sections of it because you're walking up cliff cliffs of you know, that are right out of Lord of the Rings, stone faces that you're going up 100, 125 stairs that are like carved out of stone that look like they were from the film. You can't run that. I mean, maybe Jim Walmsley could or Camille Heron, but most of us aren't going to run it. It just wouldn't make any sense. So you walk, you're walking anyway. And for me, not having done 50, not having gotten into this trail thing yet to the level that I want to, and I want to explore more. One of the best pieces of advice you can give to anybody is, hey, man, it's okay to walk. And it might even be okay to start walking a little bit way earlier than you would ever think. Because some of the steepness early in that course, I mean, that first two and a half miles to the AT, it's literally straight up a cliff. I mean, it is, I am a hill runner on roads. I'm a hill runner on trails. I was like, are you kidding me? Is this thing ever going to end? And finally, we got dumped onto the AT. So where, where you're talking about, we were so late into that point of the race I know what you were feeling. I mean, I gratitude, just like, I mean, I, my heart could have like burst open at that point. And I ran into a guy who's run it 10 or 12 times and he's run some crazy fast times in his earlier days. He was not going at it really hard, but he, jo he joined me every step for the last 8.4 miles. And it, I mean, it was like being out there with a tour guide telling me where the next aid station would be, which side of the road it was going to be on, how many other years he'd raced it. He was a Marine and you know, I'm a big fan of the military and folks that have served. And it was just such a treat for me to have him be alongside me and go through those aid stations together and say, okay, over here, we're going to see these lights and that's going to be the town. And that's when you know we're, we're closing in. But I mean, it's for anybody out there that's even thought about it, you know, put it out there, man, take the next step. You know, you don't have to start at 50 miles, go for 50 K. That's a nice little bump from 26 to 31. You know, just it's five more miles. Just see if you can get yourself, coax yourself to take that next big step. Because if you do that, 
then you might take a really big step. Because trust me, we all want to dream and believe that we're going to have this perfect cycle. We're not running the Olympic trials like our fan, like our heroes, like Des Linden and all these great runners that we follow and we love so much. And we we enjoy them sharing their their wins and losses and their their experiences. We're just really fit people who love running and love the feeling that it gives us. And we're willing to train and work really hard to accomplish these crazy ass goals in life. But I'm going to tell you, try doing something like, and, and, and in all fairness, being totally, you know, completely openly honest, I was incredibly fit before my crash. I mean, I was doing crazy. I was doing about 150 to 200 miles a week between my biking and running. And I was really, really fit. So I was really fit. But, you know, you have a concussion and you're that banged up. You can't do anything for like a week or two. And even when you do, you're barely even moving. And I hadn't run more than 13 miles. So I had no idea. And I can tell you that that changes everything for you in life. Because when you finish something that you don't know that you can do, and it's that hard and that difficult and that far, drive your car 50 miles, peeps. It's far. So when you do it, it's going to make you think, differently about every single thing in your life. So that's why it's so cool to have you on, Jenny, because you hadn't done this before, man. And you didn't just go out and finish like 20 seconds before the cutoff, man. You crushed this thing, man. I mean, on the on the CNO, were you just like running and getting faster? Were you taking any breaks at all? Like talk to me about your strategy through that section. So I knew because I had done, I because I'm lucky enough to be local and run the different sections course, I knew exactly what my strategy would be on the Appalachian Trail. I knew that in training, what my average time was for a comfortable pace, I knew I had to slow it down a little bit because I I struggle on the CNO. This is the opposite of what most people experience on the CNO canal. I am a person who runs very well on hills and because I'm used to trail. Running on the CNO, which is a packed gravel course, it can be very hard on the hips, on the hamstrings. And so I knew that I would have to have a race strategy on that 26, 26 mile section. And so a couple of weeks before the race, I was playing with some intervals and I decided that, and, and I, I played around with a five to one after talking to a friend who had done JFK and she said it worked very well for her. Um, turns out in that training run in that five to one, I ran basically a marathon much faster than I run a normal marathon running straight through without stopping. And I was like, hmm there's something to this. So that's running five minutes and then walking for one minute. And so as I went on the canal, I committed to that strategy. Now, when I first got on the canal, I still felt okay. And so I decided to switch over to the five to one when I started to feel a little bit of fatigue. Um, The other thing, the strategy was feeling. I did everything in training to test my feeling. I knew exactly what worked for me. Um, I use spring energy products. So I was using, I was feeling with those every 45 minutes, every, every hour I was alternating before uh, between a salt tab or an Endurolite. Um, so one or the other, and that kept my uh, energy level up exceptionally well. I, I was, I was very keen on understanding that you don't wait until you start to feel like you need to feel because that might be too late. So about a mile into after we passed Weaverton, and by the way, I was very happy I did not get I did not get stuck by the train because when you're coming off the AT section, there is a train going on to the CNO Canal. And but by the way, Camille did get stuck by the train. She did. I was listening to her talking, and she's like, "I knew the course record. I knew that if I could get some speed on the the CNO, that I might be able to hit it." And then I got stuck by the train. (laughs) 
Um, but I didn't get stuck by the train. So uh, about a mile into the canal, I started to employ the five to one, was starting to get a little tired. And this is where trail angels come into play. So first of all, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. For any of you listeners who are thinking about just taking on distance, whether it be anything from a half marathon to your first marathon to a 50K to a 50 mile to 100 mile, there's a little known secret that people don't tell you if you're used to running smaller races where nobody ever stops. Just like Ron said, it's okay to walk. Also, there's a lot of food at the aid stations. You can stay fueled. It's a lot of fun. When I first dipped my toe into ultra running, I was like, why didn't I do this before? It is so much more enjoyable. So I had zero problems with employing my interval strategy on the CNO Canal. I knew that it was a smart method to make sure that my legs stayed fresh. I knew how my hamstrings reacted um, when they, that my hamstrings are always very tight. I have a high, high hamstring tendonitis that I deal with sometimes. And so I was very cognizant of that. And I, I was like, well, I know this, what's, this is what works for me because I test everything in training. Training, I had a whole lot of fails, but that's what training is for. Um, and I took my training very seriously. Ron, like you, very fit going into this. I had talked to many people who have run the JFK 50 without much training, but they've all said, it just depends on how much pain you're willing to be in. Because Ron, I'm sure you saw as in, in the miles before we saw each other, there were some hurting people out there. I saw oh, some yeah. people out on course that I had never seen that. To, I saw a woman who was running completely diagonally. Yeah. I saw people taking a knee. I saw people throwing up. I saw people who were in a bad way. I saw friends who were out on the course and their hips just gave out. And they're like, I don't know if I'm going to finish. So, so, and, and some of those people trained just as much as I did, but they just had a bad day. So I knew from all of my, all, all of my race strategy from my training where I would be the safest. And I still knew that employing all those things that I could still fail. So five to one worked really well for me. And I carried that through all, all the way, but I had trail angels along the way. Trail angels are the people that I met that I talked to. I was not shy. Like when I came up to you and I was like, I love your shorts, buddy. And then I saw your, I saw your blood. And I was like, dude, that is so cool. Um, I met people all along the way that helped distract me from some of the terrain where I would otherwise, my mind would go, oh my gosh, you're on basically nature's treadmill on the CNO canal. Um, so when I was on, for example, when I was on the Appalachian Trail, when we were on that paved section going up the hill, I was sandwiched with two guys between two guys who were this year Boston Marathon qualifiers, and they had the best stories to tell me, and I didn't really feel those hills. But it also made me think, oh, my God, I'm here with two BQers. Maybe I'm in the wrong part of this. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm a middle packer. Um, and I should say that that these strategies that, that you figure out when you're running an ultra, either coming up with intervals or talking to people to help you stay at a conversational pace, this is not anywhere near the same strategy that I employ in other distances. My running for a marathon or a half marathon is much faster than I probably would have gone on this. But this was nicely paced out to be safe. Um, and so that's what I did. I talked with people along the way. I talked with this amazing guy who's done JFK uh, over 10 times who kept me company. Um, and he was, I think he was 68 or 69 years old. Excellent conversationalist. Kept me company until we hit the Antietam stop, which is about 27 miles in. I changed my shoes there. Didn't 
didn't intend to. And by the way, I wore trail shoes for the first half. I was going to ask you, what what kind of shoes did you, did you run in? What trail shoes? I wore uh, Ultra Timps. Okay. Um, so I'm a big fan of Ultra. Um, and the Lone Peaks are what I trained in as well. But I found that the Timps are one step up with cushioning. They're basically um, um, like a, a Torin on a uh, on a trail sole. And and those those did me well on the canal. So they kept me pretty comfortable. Um, but I did change my shoes out. Um, so I have the uh, New Balance uh, racers, the new carbon racers. Yes. Um, I think the Ginger Runner says $225, $225. They are so expensive. They're ridiculous. I splurged for them because I was really enjoying my long run days. And, and I have to tell you, I absolutely love them. Um, they have a 10 millimeter drop. And of course, ultras are zero. So it's kind of crazy for me, but they work for me. Um, I got faster in the second half. I put those shoes on and I ran significantly faster in the second half, but I would meet people run with them. They, maybe they were doing a five to one race strategy and then we would separate and I'd run ahead and I'd meet another person and run ahead. So I was kind of leapfrogging along the way that those two strategies worked very well for me. Um, just finding a person to talk to. Not everybody wants to talk on a really long race, but I'll tell you every single person that I met was more than happy to talk. Uh, it, it's what made this race a little different than what I'm used to with marathons. Marathons, everybody's so driven and competitive, but this one, everybody was down to talk and meet people. Yeah. The tra the trail community is so different again for uh, the listening audience that hasn't dipped their toe into that water. It's just, um, from the aid station people who just literally, they, you can see them smiling from 100, 200 yards away. They're just like waiting to greet you. And then if you happen to come in with a war wound like me and you're bleeding, and you know, you're, you got a little bit of a personality, man. They just, they adopt you, man. They're just like, oh man, what can we do for you, man? I'm like, what? what? You don't have to do anything for me. I'm good. I'll oh, be cleaning you up. Nah, nah, leave it alone. I'm good, whatever. And, um, you know, the thought of like stopping at an aid station, it's foreign to someone who runs marathons and tries to run them in a fast time. And I just let all of those things go and all those expectations go. I knew that was my chance to just like allow myself like your five to one I wasn't doing the five to one. I probably ran all of it till at least 35 or 36. And then I just said to myself, Hey, I've got 14, 15 more miles to go. There is no, I'm not saying I hadn't walked. I'd walked plenty on the AT in different sections when it got crazy steep or after I fell, I had walked, you know, in and out. And certainly every aid station, I like took my time through there, refueling my handheld bottle, you know, getting my little bits and pieces or, you know, taking a gel, slamming it down in there and then grabbing some things. And to your point, what makes the the trail community crazy is that that one up in Ithaca, there's like baked potatoes. I mean, a lot of the food stuff was changed this year, as you know, because of COVID. And, and that's just, just an unfortunate fact of life that, you know, handling things and touching things would have been, you know, riskier than, than other years. But when we do get back to normal, you will never see food spreads and candy and things on tables like you'll see at an ultra. It's crazy. I mean, at the latter stages, I don't know, from like 38 on, when I was just really exhausted and I just like mentally exhausted, I'm seeing like little baby Ruth candy bars and like Butterfingers. And I'm like, yep, I'm in my entire, like trail pack from orange mud was filled with like little candy bars. And I'm like, I know what I'm eating from now till then. And of course, Coke was like from 30 miles on, I was just drinking Coke, man. Cause I would refill my handheld with Gatorade. And then when I get in there, it's just Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola. And, um, you know, I love your strategy 
of the five one because at some point beyond thirty five, and that wasn't five to one. I never knew what it would be. There, even though the, it's in, almost entirely flat, there are little rises here and there, and I'm sure you saw them along the CNO. And sometimes just be like, nah, I'm gonna walk for. 30 seconds or 45 seconds. And then, you know, I'd run for another mile or mile and a half. And then I'd walk for whatever until I got to the roads. And then only, you know, we got out of there. We had a big hill coming right out of there. I looked at the dude, I go, I hope we're not running up this thing. He's like, no way, dude, we're walking. I'm like, okay, we're going to be friends. Yeah. So that was, that was cool. The thing is your strategy was perfect. And I employed that as well when I was in training because it was every four miles, every four miles. So when I had my long runs, I would go to places where I knew that I had, you know, I would take a break every four miles because I thought that that was originally going to be my first strategy. And I am, I use different strategies in each of the three sections of the race, as you described. So when I got to the hardball and at the, at the end, that, that eight plus miles on pavement I actually ran. Them. So I had, I had the first hill that I walked because I ran into one of my friends, Chris, who is an Ironman and he finished and he finished AFK for the second time. And his goal was to finish in the sunlight too. Um, we kept each other company and I was so grateful for that. But then once we hit the rolling hills, we would start running and we both felt really good. And it's funny because I had people tell me that once I hit that section, I would not really feel like I needed to do the intervals anymore. And I was like, yeah, okay, we'll see how that goes. I truly felt my best in those last eight miles. It was very, very strange to me. So it's, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting what we figure out and other things. Let's talk about the Coca-Cola. Um, I, I went, I carried all my fuel on me. I went completely self-supported because that's what I did in training. So I carried a backpack with a 1.8 liter uh, Camelback. And then I had all my springs with me and my husband at mile 27 at Antietam just simply outfitted me with a brand new pack with had, which had everything. So I had enough for, for two, for each one, for two marathons. A pack switch. I love it, man. Switch. This is awesome. So I had, no, I was so serious in training that I knew exactly what I needed in every training run, except for my speed work days, I would carry this damn pack on me. And I, and I've seen plenty of people who don't have anything and they're fine with that. And that's totally cool, but I'm not one of those people, but I actually learned to get very, very fast in my training runs. I became a much faster runner this year. Um, because I was used to carrying this on my back. I got stronger and yep. I was doing a lot of accessory work to train too. So, um, I stopped at the aid station though for Coke and I don't drink caffeine. I don't drink sodas normally. Um, actually I'll have a little caffeine with coffee, but, um, uh, the Coke was life. I mean, life changing. I, <laughs> it did something. Let me tell you something legit. I did not sleep for two days. After the race, I even posted something on the yes. site. Anybody I, else not sleeping? I, I think I remember that post because it was like you forgot to tell me about the caffeine and being up all night or whatever. I was just cracking up when I read that. I was like, yeah, I mean, there could have been a party in my room too, but I was just like, what the hell? Like, what am I going to do now? You know? It was so bad. And then I didn't sleep that next night either. And and my, my training buddy, Travis, came back over to the house with us after we finished. And he, by the way, he finished this year too. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I was so excited for him. But I'm ready to party. I'm like, Travis, we've been working for a whole year. And he's like, dude, I got to go home. And I was like, no, this is when we party. <laughs> and I, my husband had to sleep on the couch because I was up all night watching YouTube videos about running. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. It was so much. I, I think I had a cup of Coke at every single aid station from about 30 on as well. Yeah. I mean, it's Coke. It's jelly beans. I mean, I, I'm thinking I'm mixing up, you know, my race from Mythica too, because up there they didn't have the food restrictions. But I'm telling you, there were like boiled potatoes 
and like a vat of sea salt. So you could literally just grab them in your hand, just like twirl it around in the sea salt because we didn't have to worry about any of these things with, you know, back then. And we, we can't even imagine that that was just only a year ago that we didn't have to worry about this stuff. I mean, now you couldn't, you couldn't do that. I mean, you couldn't be like handling potatoes and have that stuff out in the open, but that was another game changer. When people eat a small potato, they were cooking bacon on skillets. I mean, you know, it's like I could smell the bacon from like two miles away. I'm like, bacon, I'm like what the hell? Bacon, all right, I'll take some extra crispy. You got any extra crispy? Like, we got you, man. We got you. So yeah, it's- um, We started with the bacon. Last year, I followed the course all year when I was following Travis, right? And we had a friend, Don Carter, who was running it too. And we nicknamed him Bacon. So we all dressed up like bacon. At the last aid station, you know, the one that you're coming, not the, not the last, the second to last, where you're coming around that one bend, we actually set up and we're cooking bacon for the <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's, the food at Ultras is life. I know it wasn't as great this year for JFK, but God bless those, those people at the aid stations who brought what they did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's honestly that this is my pitch and my, my last pitcher plug because we're, we're um, making our way towards the end here. Um, it's just, it's not, it's nothing like, and I mean, I live for running the Boston marathon. I live for running New York city and going through those boroughs and, and just seeing the, the different ethnic groups and the bands and the music and the people and the conversations, like you say, but it's just different in every way. I mean, you're just out there in nature so much more. You're looking at these vistas and, and scenery in a different light. You know, you're on single track where you better have your head in the game because if you're not, you're going to be upside down backwards and you know, gushing blood somewhere. So you got to be in it in the moment. But it's just it's just such a different, different experience. And again, not knowing if you can finish something. Now, I guess the difference for both of us this time around will be you won't have that same feeling. I'm not, neither one of us is going to be sitting there going, oh, I can easily handle a 50. No way. I mean, it's hard as hell, but it's incredibly rewarding. It's an unbelievably fulfilling. And you learn so much about, you know, what you can get done. Um, whether you've had a year to prepare and put it all together like you did, or I was coming in super, super fit before my crash. And then, you know, literally it was just kind of getting back on my feet. So you have a chance to prove like how tough you are mentally and that you can push through um, really, really tough spots. And I think that's something that ultra gives you that regular distance running, you know, really, really can't, um, unless you're just, you know, maybe just a true beginner and really haven't gotten your endurance underneath you yet. And in that case, sure, regular road running, shorter distances can do that for you when you're first getting started. But if you're an accomplished runner and you've been running for a few years and you've, you've, you've tackled some marathons, get out there, man, and give one of these bad boys a go. And you got to give JFK 50 a go. I mean, I love the race. So it's well worth it. And it's also, it feels more like a local race. You know, the field isn't that, that large. Um, but what's great about it is you have some of the elites come out where you can really watch people and see what they can do. Uh, you go through some really beautiful scenic spots. I, I personally love it because to me, it really truly feels like a local race and it's a good, good place to support because they, a lot of the money that they make from this, and it's, it's not the cheapest race you can do, but the money, a lot of the money goes to charity and the race organization just could not have done a better job this year. I, I am so proud to have had the chance to run it. I'm, I'm, I have not gone through the post-race depression that some people say you can go through after you hit a major milestone like this, but I do hope that the high that I feel right now of accomplishment never goes away. And for all of that worry that I had for all of those months, it was worth it. I, 
everybody should have this feeling of doing something greater than themselves, no matter what it is. It doesn't have to be running, but just once in their life, just to understand what it feels like and, and, and truly who's, who knows what's next, you know, but, but I would challenge anybody to go out and do something that they're just not sure that they can do. And just for that feeling and that rush and show yourself that you can rise. I love it because, you know, we both now know, what that feels like. And it's something you want to bottle and it's something you want to hold on to. And, you know, I know just in my own personal case, you know, as I'm going to hit 60 in January and just, you know, we're at an age where most people would be thinking about winding it down or slowing it down, Reverend. I'm just, it's just the opposite for me. You know, I want to, I want to take on harder things. I want to try an Ironman and in 2021, if I if I can pull it together, I've got some really uh, commitments scheduled. I qualified for the World Age Group Marathon Championships, which was supposed to take place in London last year. There's only 40 people in my age group in the world who qualified, so that's a big deal for me. So that will take place this year, hopefully. And so that will be the most important thing to me because there's not that many people who qualified and people from all around the world. And you know, so I want to put everything I have into that. The Ironman is 100% on top of my list, if I can get my swimming together, because I feel confident that I can handle the biking running stuff with the the fitness base I put together, you know, and the, and the time that I've been getting back on the bike and getting after that. So that's it. But I think, I think somewhere along this year, I might have to tackle a hundred or try, try to tackle a hundred because we're talking about going double the distance. Think about it. If you said you're going from 26 to 50, that's what we just did is one thing, but to go from 50 to a hundred is just like another, that's just complete it's insanity. And perhaps you can try hundred tech. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of my really seasoned trail running friends definitely suggest that as like the next logical step. And the, you know, the way I look at it and it's not minimizing it in any way, because it really is so course dependent. If you could find a course that doesn't have a crazy amount of vertical, one great thing about JFK, once you survive the AT and I enjoyed the hell out of the AT, including my fall. I mean, I didn't want it to happen, but it's a great war story, man. It's got great war story, great pictures. And it made the, the, the whole damn day even that much more challenging and special because like, I didn't even know, like if I got out of there, when I got onto the CNO, like, are my legs going to hold up? Or am I going to be able to like put weight and keep going? And, you know, once I ran, you know, like a mile or so on that hard crushed gravel, I knew I was going to be, you know, okay. It wasn't until around 35 when, you know, like it was just like, if I don't take some Advil, something bad's going to happen here. And I don't know why I didn't think of it sooner, man, because they got all that stuff, you know, at the aid station. So for me, you know, an Ironman, the world championships, and maybe if not a hundred, maybe a hundred K. What about for you? What's, what's big for you that you're looking at for this year? I'm really afraid to say, but I will tell you that if I could learn to swim effectively, I have been talking about an Ironman because I know that I have the running down and I know that I have, I can do the cycling. Um, I'm very strong in both of those areas, but, and, and I won't die certainly swimming, I can hold my own and won't drown, yeah. but I don't know how to swim like a swimmer. And so I'm thinking of, okay, well, if I took on running as almost a master's, I can take on swimming and I can go in and have somebody teach me to do it. Just like they taught me to, to run. It's not, I don't expect myself to just go out there and know what I'm doing. And maybe it's a long shot goal and maybe I'll never do it. Or maybe I'll just do a half Ironman. Absolutely not. I, you, I, I, you are, you are going to do it. You now committed to me and the run chat show. No, no, no. You're in. Okay. And I'm going to, I'm going to be watching you because right now I can't swim more than 50 yards. Now I did triathlon in my early thirties. 
I actually was pretty competitive as an age grouper and usually would podium in my age group. And I would do very well on the bike and the run, but I was the worst swimmer in the history of the sport. But I could go the distance. I could swim a mile or 1.2 if it was a 70.3, a half Ironman. Um, but I just sucked in the swimming. I mean, I could swim the whole distance, but you know, if somebody banged into me, hits you in the water, all these things happen routinely, your contacts get knocked out. It's not like running. You, you can't see your head's in the water. People swim right over the top of you. They elbow you, they hit you. They, you know, so not trying to scare you, it's just real life. When you're in the open water, these are things that are happening. You can't just like put yourself off to the side and go, I'll stay away from everyone. You, you end up in a lane with people they're to your right, to your left, in front of you, behind you. And people are just going to keep going towards the next buoy. And they're, you know, you're in their way, you know, it's like running or on the bike. We see everything around us on the trail. We see everything. We, you really can't see in swimming because your head's down in a murky water and you're going, but you're doing it. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure, I want to make sure you, you like get in there. We're going to find you a, we'll, we'll find you a swim coach down there or a master swimming program or something. Yeah. And I think it's, I can, I think I can at least I can at least try. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Like when I say Ironman, like I totally, that's my aspiration. I've already done a bunch of half Ironmans when I was in my 30s. So like, that's not going to be something I'm going to be like, wow, I did a half Ironman. I've already done a bunch of those. So I might this year, just because of scheduling and the other commitments, um, I've already Tokyo, I've already paid for the race. I'm already committed to that race. If it happens, that's also going to happen as well as that. And then New York is the 50th anniversary and it's in my backyard. I mean, am I really not going to run the New York City Marathon? So that would be three marathons already that are like two weeks apart, two weeks apart, two weeks apart. Um, so I don't know that I'll actually be able to schedule an Ironman and be able to get the swim. That's 2.4 miles. The biking and the running, sure, it's hard. It'll be incredibly challenging, but I can get myself ready to handle the phase two and phase three. The swimming is like, whoa. That's, and, and, and that's the same thing. But I love the I love the tenacity to try. I think it's incredible the opportunities that you have. You're an incredible runner. What I also think is wonderful is that we're both masters. So what I have found in our field, and this is something I didn't know as a runner because I thought it's too late for me to run. There are a ton of us. Yeah. And we seem to be getting stronger as we get older. And so don't be afraid, people out there, to try something new. Don't worry about your age. You are in good company. There's a whole lot of us out there. And by the way, these things are accessible. So yeah, running a 50 mile, it is accessible. You have folks out there who are front of the Packers, but you also have people who are back of the Packers. Middle of the Packers. There, there is some somebody that will welcome you in. And I don't want folks to be out there and be so afraid of trying something difficult because they're just like, well, I don't fit in. I'm not a runner. Trust me, I spent so many years uh, proclaiming that for myself, and it's bullshit. You know, I, you know, I don't have to be winning races to be a runner. Um, and and in fact, the more that I accepted that I was a runner and I committed to my training and going all in, I discovered that I actually got a lot faster. I became a much better runner. Um, and that's with continuing to age. So shout out to us masters runners out there. Yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. And listen, we all have fears. We all have anxieties. We all worry whether we can or can't do something. We all worry if we're going to look as cool as the next person or, you know, all of those things there. It's real life. Okay. But you know what? Get out there, give it a shot. And I couldn't be happier that I drove down there 
And I took that huge risk. And if I'd failed and fallen flat on my face, which I did do in the race, but I mean, if I, but I mean, even if the worst thing that happened to me is that I really did get hurt, like, you know, maybe I broke my ankle or something like that. I wouldn't have been disappointed. I mean, I sure would have been disappointed that couldn't finish, but I would not have been disappointed in my decision to go down and try. Okay. Cause that's what it's about. It isn't about winning and, you know, going sub 10, which you did, which is amazing. You weren't out there trying to crush a time goal. It just happened because you prepared and you trained your ass off and the day came together and you just kept pushing and little by little you push that rock push that rock all of a sudden you had eight miles to go and you're like shit i still feel good i'm running faster at the end most people as you said were going the other way they were you know hurting or really struggling or having to walk a lot and um you know that's just such a cool cool thing to have happen for you and I'm excited. Um, I know my listeners will hear the energy and excitement in your voice for it's a huge accomplishment. Um, and you had to overcome so much and you got such a late start and you had to battle your way through a lot of things to get to the place where you're at right now. And it's a good place. And you're not only doing good things for yourself as a runner, but you're, you're doing work within the community. And that always is a place that warms my heart. Well, thank you. It's, it's been it's an incredible thing when you really stop to think about it, the day and, and the year. It's really all in the year and the people that surrounded me and who always supported me and the patience of my husband who just let his wife go off and do my thing for a year. Um, and, and I feel fortunate, too, that I had a very good race day. Look, we've all had bad race days and we all understand that when we have bad race days. It doesn't mean all that running sucks from here on out. But I feel very fortunate that I had a very, I feel like I ran a perfect day. It was really, really great. Um, and I'm grateful that that there was good energy out there. I have this pet peeve of mine that because I've cheered plenty of runners on that there are so many runners that look miserable. They don't smile. They don't wave. They don't say hi. You're like, good job. And they're just like, F you. <laughs> I get that. A lot of us have felt that when we're running, but I have this philosophy when I run that I am the happy runner. I want to show people that, you know, I'm paying to do this and I'm going to enjoy myself doing this, even when I'm in pain. And there's psychology that says when you smile through something that you can actually, it can make it a little bit easier on you. But in this race, particularly, I really wanted to show gratitude for our ability to be out there, to thank every single person, volunteer, police officer, uh, person cheering us on, and my fellow runners, hey, you're doing a great job. I think that as a runner and in this community, it's really important that we show how what this does to our lives. And, and I prefer to show it on the outside. I prefer to show people that I'm grateful. I have had multiple times in this life, like many of us, where I didn't know if I was going to survive it, where I didn't want to survive it. And I feel like every day is a gift to be able to show people that, hey, I'm truly living. And and that's that's what running is to me. It's it's not it's not about running. It's about rising. It's about choosing to get up and live my life every single day. It's about my my entire uh, extended family. My mother is completely disabled. She is not able to move. She is not able to walk across a room. I sure as hell can get up off the couch and get out of my house and move every day and do the things to show that I can truly live my life. And I'm very proud to be able to do that. And I'm proud to be a member of this community. So thank you so much for 
giving me the forum to talk with you and chat with you. And I cannot tell you how grateful I am that I got to meet you on the course. Well, it's, um, the feeling's mutual. Um, <laughs> I, I try to carry that and put that out. And every single day of my runs, uh, whether I'm alone running, you know, facing the skyline of New York or I'm running through Central Park, I try to have that energy captured in my posts of the pictures, whether I'm running alone. Um, there's a lot of beauty in the world. Yeah, we're in a really shitty spot and it's a really tough spot for every single person out there. We're all facing this thing differently, but we choose to decide how we're going to tackle a run, tackle a race, tackle the next hard thing in our life. There's no one that says because it's 50 miles or 100 miles or 20 miles or anything that you have to do it with a miserable look on your face. Doesn't mean that we're not hurting because hell, trust me, I wasn't smiling when I took a hard slam dunk and was bleeding all over, but I was smiling very shortly after. Mario Zuniga from our page, you know, was right behind me because he started in wave two and I was in wave oh, one. Yeah. And no, Mario, Mario like yelled my name and he's like, dude, that was like the best fall I've ever seen because <laughs> that was like a 10. I'm like, thanks, dude. He's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. And in typical fashion, like he just blew by because he had his race to run. You know, once he knew it was okay, it was okay. I'm sure if I really wasn't okay, he probably would have given me a hand at that point. But you know what? You know, we we can all, you know, send a message about how we want to go through this life when we're running. And, you know, we can run with a smile. We can run with positive energy. We can say hello to people. We can wave. And if they don't wave back and if they want to be cranky or miserable, you know, good for them. That's okay. I mean, everybody's in their own space. You know, I just pretend like maybe they don't speak English or this or that. I'm just whatever. But I know one thing, I got so much more out of the day like you did by just, you know, talking to like literally everybody and just saying thank you, thank you, thank you all day long. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys are amazing. You're amazing. Thank you for volunteering. Thank you for being out here. Thank you for doing all this stuff because it is a gift. It's a gift to run. Whether you're out running around your neighborhood, whether you're running on the AT trail where you live or you're running in Central Park, it's a gift to run and just be thankful that you can because your mom can't, um, other people can't, other people have passed in this horrible year of COVID and just, just be thankful that that's a way that we can all relieve stress and we can all relieve anxiety. And I just hope some more people listening to your show today will pick up on your energy and your good vibe and say like, hey man, Jenny did this thing. I can do this. I'm going to sign up for the JFK 50. And you know what? Give us a shout out on the episode. Tell us you're signed up and you're committing and, you know, we'll follow your journey, man, because you know what? That's what it's all about. Share with other people and they will help lift you up. When you're having a tough time, they will be there for you. And when things are going well, they'll celebrate it with you. And, you know, you do that same thing back for them on the other side. So let's do more of that, man, because that's what it's all about. Absolutely. Well, I just have to say what a pleasure it was to meet you in person and, of course, have you on today because we had such a blast talking all things ultra, JFK, running life, and everything in between. You have great energy, great personality, and I appreciate you and everything you're doing in the community, and I look forward to seeing you out there at another JFK or maybe some other race or Ironman, Ironman. So. <laughs> Now you're, now you're locked in, so you, you can't get out of it. So is there anything else you have before we roll out? Anything else we missed or anything you want to cover? Nothing we missed, but I, I just like to give just a little bit more encouragement to folks out there. 
when I started running, I couldn't run a quarter mile. I've heard a lot of stories from runners. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I, I read a lot on other runners. And and very often I hear of these extraordinary runners start and they go from zero to 60 and they're amazing rock stars. I'm not one of those people. I'm somebody who really, really struggled with this. And I'm somebody who struggled with self-confidence in it too. And it took a long time to build it up. But I'll tell you one of my secrets to success other than the tribe and you know having people to be accountable to. I started making daily habits and, you know, I started in the, um, you know, right after New Year's and it's how cheesy that is for New Year's resolutions. But I started with a daily intention to go and do something that was active daily. And that that habit um, became a, a pra- that practice became a habit that I soon carried forward. And it's been almost eight years. Jan- in January, it'll be eight years since I took that first trip to the gym in that terrible T-shirt. And, and, and I've still found a way to be active every single day. You don't need to go to the extreme, but, um, and if it's not being active, it's finding something else to feed your soul. But I want others to know that, that really, truly anything is possible. If you had met me when I first started running, you saw what I was not able to do. I think you'd be pretty shocked that I just finished the JFK 50 and this isn't the end for me. So I just encourage folks just just try, try something, find other people to encourage you. If your friend me, I, I accept all friend requests. You can find me on Instagram at Brackensburg. I will encourage the hell out of you. I am your cheerleader. So I, I hope that other people kind of take that message to heart and realize that it's not easy for all of us, but we're all in this together. I love it. It's a great message because it's easily lost. You know, somebody were to look up your time and see that you finished, you know, basically like top 10 in your age group, which is amazing. And you ran such a fast time, even though it was your first JK 50. Sure. There are always going to be people out there who think just what you said. Oh yeah, she's a natural or she's a really good runner or she has these abilities. No, absolutely not. You worked your ass off. You came from a place where you could barely even run at all and couldn't even, you know, control your breathing. And you went out and just did something like amazing. So I love that because you're encouraging others. And that's what this show is all about. That's what my page is all about. That's what your page is about. So let's encourage each other to do more hard things. And a hard thing doesn't have to see be 50 miles or an Ironman. A hard thing for you might be to run one block. A hard thing for you might be to get out of bed in the morning and take your dog on a long walk on the trail. Whatever it is, it's an intention that you talked about that you started eight years ago. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be about racing. It can just be about changing your lifestyle and trying to be more healthy. Um, Because once you make those changes a little at a time, it just kind of takes over your life a little bit more. And then you start thinking, I can try this and I can try that. And that's what we need. We need more people getting out of their comfort zone and taking some big swings in life. And you never know, you might inspire somebody. So Ron, somebody like you, meeting you, knowing your story, hearing your accomplishments, that fills my soul. It it just, it feeds me into this this level of inspiration that I go, wow, this is really cool. And that you're so accessible. And that people like Mario who's running out there, but they're all so kind and so accessible. Those things are so helpful. So again, I truly, truly appreciate you talking with me and being my friend. And I'm so glad we met. Well, right back at you. And um, yes, it's, it's a wonderfully welcoming community. And, you know, let your fears go, man. Just go on some running groups, go on to Facebook. I have the New York City Marathon and Half Marathon page I'm an admin for. Join the group. 
Um, there's the JFK 50 group. If you're thinking about doing JFK 50 next year, even if you've never even run an ultra before, it doesn't matter. Neither one of us had, you know, just sign up for the group. There's so much meaningful information in there about how people train and, and organizing group runs. I mean, it's still hard to do those things right now, but it can be done. You can run outside in a group on a trail and be safe. Um, it can be done. So those are some steps. Um, find a running group, get involved in your community, start your own group. If you don't have one, you know, friend, uh, friend, Jenny, friend me, find some people that will help you make some connections. And where I always leave this show and it's the perfect place. Cause it's exactly what uh, Jenny's message in mind is, is I tell everybody before we roll out, I say, keep lacing them up and keep getting out the door. Cause that's where all good things happen. Every time you win that battle, no matter how hard a day you've had at work, no matter how exhausted or run down you might feel, every time you win that singular battle of putting those laces on and those shoes and getting out the door, I don't care where it is, I don't care how far you go, it's a win. And that's where it all starts. So keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door, and always stay in the fight, my friends. And thank you all for tuning in. Take care, everybody. God bless. Wow, that was such a fun chat. I'm so lucky to have this gig going with the pod and definitely think it was serendipity. Um, our paths crossing at mile 40 in this ultra. Uh, I think we we're definitely meant to meet and uh, I would not have had the chance to get her on the show. So I'm very thankful for that. Uh, she has a wonderful, Jenny has wonderful energy and uh, a passion for life. And, you know, hearing the struggles that she endured um, in many other parts of her life leading up to the changes that took place. It just, it's super inspiring. It just makes me really happy as a human. So thrilled to um, have the chance to sit with her and you know help her navigate and share her story with the Run Chats audience. I hope you all will find a lot of great nuggets in there. Um, if you've ever been in a tough spot like this, lost a loved one, um, or battled through any of the challenges Jenny's faced down, I'm hoping that it will inspire you or someone else, uh, possibly. And uh, that can make all the difference, particularly at times um, as we get close to the holiday here and holidays upcoming, stress levels just go up even higher, even uh, higher than they are currently with COVID. So just uh, ask anybody that feels moved in any way by Jenny's story. Just take a moment, uh, share it to your friends on Facebook, put it up on your wall, uh, share it through Instagram stories, just get it out there to people. I'm sure hearing Jenny's words and the actions and steps that she took to uh, take control of her life and make changes could really make an impact on someone. So it was, a, it was a blessing for me to have the chance to chat with her and hear her story and just excited um, to do this, uh, what we're doing here at Run Chat. So thank you all so much for everybody that listens to the show, shares episodes, rates episodes, writes comments on a post means the world to me. And I thank you all so much in a, such a difficult year for us all. Um, you guys have been a big part of keeping me going. So God bless and thank you all so much. Um, just uh, always say, keep lacing them up, my friends. Keep making that choice every day to lace them up and get out the door and positive things will happen. So keep lacing them up, keep getting out that door and always remember to stay in the fight, my friends. Love you all. God bless. Take care. <laughs>